Chapter Eighteen of the Real Oscar Wilde by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Oscar Wilde, then, whom I first met in Paris in eighteen eighty three, was a marvellous young man, enthusiastic, ambitious, kindly, generous, brilliantly clever, devoted to the arts, hard working and conscientious at his craft, a delightful conversationalist, liberal minded, benign, a thorough good sport and an aristocrat in every fibre of him and what particularly delighted me in him apart from his entire lack of affectation of any kind was his exceeding and exuberant joy of life his lebensglader as ibsen calls it though he appeared to take pleasure in reading morbid and pessimistic authors he himself simply hugged the enjoyments of life and i ever think of the stimulating picture that dear oscar used to present when dinner or a course being over he would pull out his silver cigarette case slap it down on the table and prepare for the first inter or postprandial smoke he was tolerant and without rancour as witness his behaviour when he was disappointed by mary anderson and that he was generous and reckless of his money where his friends were concerned I have already shown, by relating how he came to my rescue with a proffered loan of money when it was urgent for me to leave for London. Apart from that, I remember that, being very interested in the life of Gérard de Nerval, he surprised me one day with the presence of a very rare little brochure about this melancholy poet, the Delval brochure, if I am not mistaken, for which he had hunted all the bookshops on the Quai Voltaire, and for which, the duchess having turned him down at that time he paid far more than he could afford that he was very hard up when he came back to london and before he secured his engagement to lecture in the provinces was shown me by the fact that i being at ambleside at the time he wrote me asking if i could receive him as a guest for some weeks i remember also that at this time being anxious to get some ties of the colours that oscar wilde affected or had been used to affect ties of the so-called aesthetic shades i wrote to liberties asking for a selection to be sent me to choose from to obtain such a consignment it was necessary by the rules of the firm to give a london reference and having mentioned oscar wilde's name he being the godesar of liberties aesthetic truck i had every reason to expect the goods to be sent i received neither selection of ties nor any explanation as to the reason for their not being dispatched and i could only conclude that my reference was not considered a satisfactory one after i left the lakes i went to london and one day by hazard met my friend again at of all places clapham junction that railway station which some years later was to be the scene of the hideous outrage to which he was there subjected while waiting manacled and in prison garb for the train by which he was to be conveyed to reading jail and which he describes in the following passage in de profundis everything about my tragedy has been hideous mean repellent lacking in style our very dress makes us grotesque we are the zanies of sorrow we are the clowns whose hearts are broken we are specially designed to appeal to the sense of humour in november thirteenth eighteen ninety five i was brought down here from london from two o'clock till half-past two that day 
i had to stand on the centre platform of clapham junction in convict dress and handcuffed for the world to look at i had been taken out of the hospital ward without a moment's notice being given to me of all possible objects i was the most grotesque when people saw me they laughed each train as it came up swelled the audience nothing could exceed their amusement that was of course before they knew who i was as soon as they had been informed they laughed still more for half an hour i stood there in the grey november rain surrounded by a jeering mob for a year after that was done to me i wept every day at the same hour and for the same space of time i had heard of this outrage shortly after it happened and was informed indeed that the occurrence was even worse than what wilde relates i was told that the man who first recognised the prisoner shouted by god that's oscar wilde and spat on him i published the story in the hopes that some of those who were present might read my comments the fact was denied then but de profundis confirmed it i have more than once in england witnessed the delight of the anglo-saxon plebs in contemplating the shame and humiliation of prisoners pilloried by our clumsy prison arrangements in public places and attribute it less to ignorance than to a kind of bloodthirstiness which is characteristic of our race a lechivia de sangue which perhaps alone the marquess de sade could have explained however that morning in eighteen eighty three we were very far from anticipating to what a shameful tragedy the platform where we met by chance was within twelve years to be the stage he was in high spirits asked me to lunch with him and rode up to town with me in a third-class carriage a condition of travelling to which he was certainly not accustomed i mentioned to him apropos of this that a great belgian nobleman the duc de ligne on being asked why he travelled third class answered because there are no fourth classes in belgium this led to a reference to our common impecuniosity and to the murderer lacenaire's horror of the empty pocket if i remember rightly my position at that time was a very bad one i was to leave the house where i had been staying as a guest on the morrow and hardly knew where to go for my only tangible asset was the manuscript of a translation from turgenev when oscar heard this he at once invited me to come and share rooms with him at his lodgings in charles street grosvenor square he had signed a contract he told me for a lecturing tour in london and the provinces and could at least give me shelter until i'd found something to do wilde's rooms in charles street grosvenor square were in a house on the right-hand side as one goes towards the square and opposite the coburg mews the street has been renamed and is now carlos street the house which was an old-fashioned one has now been pulled down and a modern building stands in its place the lodgings which were for single gentlemen of distinction were kept by a mr and mrs davis they were most excellent people the kind of landlord and landlady that one so very rarely meets in the dreary sahara of london lodgingdom mr davis had been a butler in good families 
his wife had been a cook and a real cordon bleu she was mr davis used to go out to banquets in the city to superintend the waiting and had a standing arrangement with the governors of the bank of england they were both devoted to oscar wilde though he was often in their debt and could not speak too highly of his cleverness kindness and consideration and be it remarked en passant that anybody who was ever in wilde's service either directly or indirectly had this same feeling for him bless his sweet face he was the kindest gentleman that ever lived is the recorded remark of a woman who was for some long time cook at his house in tite street in his case as in that of most men his kindness was misinterpreted by some as a sign of weakness by others as being dictated by some base motive i remember how pathetically oscar wilde at the time of his trial having told me that he had seen in the purlieus of the court a number of the wretched lads who gave evidence against him exclaimed to me and they have nothing against me robert except that i was kind to them oscar's rooms were on the top floor an oak-panelled sitting-room with a small bedroom opening out of it when oscar was at home i used to sleep in a bedroom on the ground floor when he was en voyage i was allowed to use his bedroom i remember that the bed was no sybaritic couch it was a particularly hard camp bedstead and reminded me of those we had at oxford there was no bathroom in the house an inconvenience which troubled oscar wilde but little he was not addicted to the daily bath at the same time he had a veritable cultus for his body and took great pride in his personal appearance douglas relates how much time he used to spend every day in brushing his beautiful hair on his arrival in paris his first visit was always chez le coiffeur i do not think he ever shaved himself at least i never saw him do so yet i never saw him as a free man the least untidy about the face so i suppose that in london he visited the barber daily for like his brother he had a strong growth of face hair i remember once seeing him with a beard and whiskers which the poor fellow tried to hide from me by holding his check blue and white handkerchief before his face that was on one of the occasions on which i visited him in reading jail his custom of having his hair curled dated from his adoption of an aronian coiffure as a matter of fact the curls were at once combed out an agreeable waviness alone remaining he was fond of his body he used to stroke and pet himself when he was reading he was usually seen to be caressing his nose or gently pulling his ear sometimes with his nail he would scrape off some piece of dead skin which he would roll up afterwards contemplating the pellet which had been part of himself with admiring interest i remember how once when a new overcoat was delivered to him in paris and he had put it on he manifested quite a childish pleasure in the comfort it gave him so warm robert he said folding his hands across his breast like a child the arrangements at the lodgings in charles street were distinguished and comfortable our newspapers were invariably aired before they were brought with the early cup of tea to our bedsides the valeting was what one is accustomed to in the best houses 
as to the catering it was incomparably the best i have ever met with in any lodgings we used to dejeuner in the french fashion about eleven o'clock and it was as good a breakfast lunch as any that could be got anywhere in london the davises had some excellent claret and the coffee that mrs davis made reminded one of the cafe noir that used to be served at the not at all bad little place in the avenue de la opera where we used to dine with the duchess apropos of whom i remember that very shortly after i came to live at charles street i one morning found oscar wilde talking with johnston forbes robertson now sir johnston and i heard the actor who was holding a roll of manuscript in his hand say very well oscar i will take it round to the printers at once this was the manuscript of the duchess of padua i imagine that it was then that the twenty copies privately printed as manuscript to which reference has been made and which were marked opus two were produced we generally dined en ville oscar was usually invited out i dined where i could not infrequently with duke humphrey sometimes we went to the cafe royal and on more than one occasion whistler was with us he was not very prosperous in those days and used to order the very cheapest claret to take with his frugal grill oscar wilde showed him the greatest deference like the grand virginian gentleman that you are he sometimes said to him whistler seemed to me always to be nurturing a grievance either against some individual or against the social collectivity i remember once saying to oscar that the pre-prandial conversation with whistler was an excellent substitute for bitters as an aperitif and so indeed it was his remarks were the cascara sagrada of conversation i was promptly snubbed by oscar for my observation one does not criticise a james mcneil whistler he said though later on he himself was to criticise him and not without acerbity there were some days on which i might have signed myself like dr johnson imprancis and there was at least one day when if he had not had an invitation to dine out wilde might have done the same i shall not forget with what an air of self-reproach and even of guilt the good fellow knowing my position hurried out of the room that night in those days he was making use of pawn-shops the bankers of the poor and once he asked me to accompany him to marlborough street police court where he was to swear an affidavit regarding a pawn-ticket which he'd lost i believe the pledge in question was the gold medal the barclay gold medal which he'd won at trinity college dublin this medal seems to have lain with the pawnbrokers most of the time for it was in pledge when he died and the amount of the loan being a considerable one and more than ross with all the other charges on him could afford to pay it was not redeemed and doubtless has long since gone into the melting pot i was present at the first lecture that oscar wilde gave in london at the prince's hall the attendance was a fair one and most of his points were appreciated his manner was supremely easy he dominated his audience he seemed to realise that what he was saying was both new and interesting and that it was for his listeners to appreciate that fact 
and feel pleased and proud at being lectured to by him his attitude was that of the roman actor who at the end of the play used suddenly to realise the existence of an audience address them directly and with a peremptory was plaudite leave the stage i understood that he had been carefully coached in his stage manner and deportment and that by no less an actor than mr herman vezin vezin used to relate that one day shortly before the lecture tour oscar wilde called on him and vezin he said i am to go lecturing in england i want you to help me i want a natural style with a touch of affectation well answered vezin and haven't you got that oscar vezin added that oscar did not like that remark of his and seemed to think that he was making fun of him wilde had a very high opinion of vezin's quality as an actor which is shown in the following letter which he wrote him and of which i reproduce a facsimile in these pages vezin who gave this letter to the lady who has lent it to me for the purposes of this book pencilled upon it the approximate date of its reception fourth of october eighteen eighty it is dated from tite street where wilde was then sharing rooms with an artist friend this is the letter tite street chelsea my dear vezin i send you a copy of my drama footnote a copy of the first edition of vera End footnote. which you were kind enough to hear me read some months ago any suggestion about situations or dialogue i should be so glad to get from such an experienced artist as yourself i have just found out what a difficult craft playwriting is will you let me tell you what immense pleasure your iago gave me it seems to me the most perfect example i have seen of that right realism which is founded on consummate art and sustained by consummate genius the man iago walked and talked before us two points particularly delighted me the enormous character you gave to otherwise trivial details a rare and splendid art to make all common things symbolic of the leading idea as albert durer loved to do in his drawings the other is your delivery of asides notably in act two i never knew how they ought to be quite before but perhaps you are saying in an aside now oh her jam setis so believe me your friend and admirer oscar wilde vezin had a strong affection for wilde the last time i saw this fine actor to whom his contemporaries never did full justice was at lady wilde's house in oakley street during the last trial oscar was too ill and tired to come downstairs where a number of his friends had collected that evening to wish him luck i do not know that vezin with whom that night i had a long conversation about our friend ever saw him again when he talked about oscar he used to relate how fascinated a niece of his a young girl of seventeen over from america had been with the poet who had sat next to her at a dinner party she was simply delighted with him he used to say he sat next to her and all through dinner devoted himself to her amusement he told her stories he made jokes he was amiable and kind 
and the girl went away in enthusiasm for him oscar had the special gift of making himself beloved by young people and especially girls and there are many stories on record in this connection that he ever tried to score off a girl with a caustic saying i disbelieve and i never credited the story that keeps cropping up about him and a miss smith i can remember your name very well he is alleged to have said to this young lady who had claimed a previous acquaintance with him but i certainly cannot recall your face that is the very thing that oscar wilde would never have said for his nature was free from vulgarity and he hated to hurt a person's feelings he certainly was caustic in remarks he made about people when discussing them out of their hearing but i do not think that i ever heard him say an unkind thing to anybody as to ridiculing a person's name as he is alleged to have done in this smith anecdote it is the very last thing he would have done i once heard him rebuke a man who had told him that having been dunned by a solicitor of the name of cheese he had written to him to say that any kind of conduct might be expected from a man with such a cognomen that was a very vulgar thing to do said oscar a man cannot help his name one frequently reads stories about wilde which to those who knew him are obviously neither true nor cleverly invented i have always disbelieved the following two anecdotes which appear now and again in the press and are probably quoted by someone who thinks that they do credit to oscar wilde's wit and power of repartee these are the anecdotes Quote, one episode in connection with wilde i remember well he was chatting after lunch in a circle of both sexes and a very beautiful and fascinating woman whose name is a household word kept nagging at him on the question of original sin a subject she might well have fought shy of considering her own popeian record sin began with adam and came down to you oscar she said and he turned upon her like a greyhound on a hare no he murmured in his silkiest tones sin commenced with eve cleopatra carried it on and my dear blank the future of sin may i think be safely left in your hands she never forgave him on another occasion a bishop dining at the same table said in a blustering overbearing manner to oscar wilde sir i can't think i really can't think as you do so sorry my lord drawled wilde but why not ask the creator to rectify his errors and give you something to think with then the bishop asked someone to pass him the nuts Unquote. as i've said nobody who knew oscar wilde will believe either of these stories he had no silky tones he never drawled and he certainly never was rude but the strangest stories are current about him i remember hearing a remarkably vulgar but wealthy woman once abusing wilde and she related that it was his habit in society to shout everybody else down and that another disagreeable characteristic of his was that if anybody said anything real smart he used to note it down on his cuff so as to record it for his own use on a future occasion which reminds me that the man who had occupied wilde's rooms in charles street before he went there to live was pellegrini 
the ape of vanity fair whose notable caricature of oscar wilde never before republished i am able to reproduce here mr davis used to talk about him and relate that all pellegrini's notes on a subject used to be pencilled on his shirt cuff and every morning when i came in to take his clothes said davis mr pellegrini would shout out on your life davis leave my shirt alone there's twenty pounds worth of stuff on it the only instance i can remember where wilde made play with a characteristic as to which the person in question might possibly have been sensitive and accordingly where deliberately he might have hurt a man's feelings was when he changed to mr hopper the name of one of his characters in lady windermere's fan he did this because the actor who had been selected to play the part in question had a peculiar walk a kind of hop so that the new name chosen described his mannerism the brother of this actor was present by the way when oscar wilde read his play to the company at the st james theatre and relates quote, he had just crossed from ireland that morning his silk hat was ruffled and as he stepped onto the stage he stumbled he put a large box of cigarettes on the table in front of him and saying may i smoke lit one and began to read the company was not prepared to be impressed but after the first sentences all listened in breathless silence to the close Unquote. end of chapter eighteen